People know about it, they laugh at it, it is definitely stigmatised, but the fact is hundreds of thousands of people listen to it. Dr Maureen Sinton, producer, programmer, listener. Another listener said, <laughs> this listener was, was quite left of centre and he was saying, I want to know the enemy. You don't watch film or television that you don't enjoy to prove to yourself that you don't enjoy it. But <laughs> for some reason, within the talkback environment, some people do en- yep. engage with a product that they know they're likely to not agree with. But talkback is a spectator sport, and the listener is the spectator. What I can say is that it is clear that this is one of New Zealand's darkest days. I mean, there were people put to air who quite early on flagged that the number of casualties was going to be Mm. quite high. It was awful and compelling listening. When I say talkback radio listener, you probably picture some grandpa pottering around his kitchen, putting on a cup of tea and getting ready to call up the host to talk about politics. And what about the silent actors in the talkback transaction? What about the people who tune in but never call up? Because not everyone wants to have their opinion broadcast live across the country. Some people just want to listen in. But why? Is it to have their views affirmed? Is it to get outside their personal echo chambers and be challenged? Or is it simply to be entertained by the pure liveness and authenticity of the product? Because Talkback Radio is alive and well in 2023. And you'll be surprised by what it has to teach us about our society. Let's listen in. To Dr. Maureen Sinton. This is PhD Unpacked. Before we get into the research, can you tell us a little bit about your personal background, how you ended up in the academic field after a long and distinguished media career, and ultimately why you wound up writing this PhD specifically? So, grew up in Whangare, uh, born and grew up in Whangare. Always loved radio from a very young age. This sounds weird, but it's true. My mother was the tea lady at the local radio station, and you know it's good in a town like Whangarei to. If you, it's not, it's not what you know; it's who you know. Um, and so, at the age of sixteen, and the day this was the days when they took on cadets, and you got paid to learn. So I was a became a Radio New Zealand cadet. This is in the late seventies, um, and but most of my career was actually spent in Wellington, working on a show called The Tonight Show, which uh, networked across Aotearoa. Um, and t- the Tonight Show was a mixture of music, um, interviews, talk, and talkback. And that's when I first started producing uh, talkback shows, and I, I really enjoyed that aspect. Then I went, did my OE, came back, no jobs in radio, so uh, was in television for another 17 years, as you said, a programmer and production producer. Then took a break couldn't decide what I wanted to do and then decided that I'd actually go and do that university degree that I didn't do the first time around. So um, 10 years ago, nine years ago, I started as uh, in Te Arapotama doing a Māori development and social science degree, uh, undergrad, and then I moved over to the School of Comms at AUT Communications and did a Master's on Interactivity on radio, on public service radio, Radio New Zealand in particular. And then when they said, hey, you know, why don't you stay on and do a, a doctorate? My choice of thesis was a sort of an extension of my master's um, in terms of it was continuing on the theme of interactivity. Um, Talkback is a form of interactivity. People know about it. 
They laugh at it. It is definitely stigmatised. But the fact is hundreds of thousands of people listen to it, although it's very hard to find someone who admits to listening to it. Mm. Um, but I, I'm, I, I've always been intrigued by, the, by that fact that so many people listen, but so few people will tell you they do. For, for anyone that might be listening that doesn't, doesn't know what talkback radio is or, or needs a slightly better definition, can you, can you define exactly what talkback radio is specifically as a genre within the kind of wider radio landscape because there's lots of different kinds of radio right well it's probably appropriate that i make that i i start off making that definition by by emphasizing that there is a difference between talk radio and talkback radio it's something that's um, noted in australia and new zealand we both sort of inclined to call it similar names um we talk about talk based networks or talk networks and um that in- usually includes or talks station or talk talk network and that usually includes some part of talk radio and some part of some part of it is talk back talk radio generally is and i'll the best way i can explain it is um what mike hosking does on news talk zb um where he has pre-arranged he's, he's pre-arranged interviews he has his own commentary um and it is it's an Entertainment and informational program, obviously. Um, talk back is different in that it's where the content, the majority of the content, is provided by the listener. It's not prearranged. Certainly, the uh, the messages and the calls are screened. So, in that respect, you could say prearranged. But they're not, you know, they're not set up in the same way that you have that you have with talk radio. So, um, Mike Hosking, just using the current example, Mike Hosking is talk radio. Um, Kerry Woodham, between nine and noon, is talkback radio. It's when when callers are ringing in and being put to air, mm. and discussions ahead with the host. Do you know exactly when talkback back started? I imagine it was people calling in off off landlines at some point when that was the only way you could yeah. get in contact with a radio host. I could I could sit here for the next two hours and give you the history, uh, but, uh, but I'll, I'll I'll give you a brief history. Yeah. Uh, 1927 was actually. Can, is in, in the Herald, it's recorded as the first attempt at talkback. <laughs> <laughs> this, these guys working out of what is now, what used to be the 1ZB studios and then became um, 1ZB later. Um, these, these, this uh, one particular announcer um, decided to, decide. wouldn't it be good if we could actually get the listeners calling? Wouldn't that be amazing? And they experimented and they got it. They they got it working, but it was all too I think it was too wild and crazy for uh, the management at the time. So it got put aside, um, and then it wasn't addressed in New Zealand again till 1965, when what was then the NZBC, um, which became Radio New Zealand later, the NZBC decided to experiment with it, um, with the concept, and they just to trial run. They ran to Masterton, Lucky Masterton. They the talk back was trialed there and it was it was uh in the um what would would have been called the women's programming um in the afternoon and it was called telephone time and people were allowed to, people were in, um, encouraged rather to to ring up with um you know favorite recipes or how to remove stains from blankets or how to you know deal with a burnt saucepan um i remember my mother listening to that when i was growing up Radio Northland, um, and then in 1968, 2ZB Wellington, also always being innovative, they um, started this program called Party Line, um, which was the first general issues talkback, um, and it was hosted by a guy called Paddy O'Donnell, which was a heck of a risk 
by two ZB in that time because Paddy was a anyone who remembers him will remember that he was a bit of a maverick and a bit of, a bit out there. Um, so it was a bit of risk to have this guy um, running running a talkback show. But that was so that was '68 and it went for quite a while. And then the next big sort of step was when um, private radio had started in the early 70s and Radio I in Auckland became very well known for its talkback programs mm. with people like um, Eccles Smith and Tim Bickerstaff. Um, and in Wellington you had Brian Edwards on Radio Windy. And then, so talkback was just sort of becoming a regular part of what was offered as a format. And then the next, probably the next big momentous event in terms of the history of talkback in Aotearoa was the beginning of News Talk ZB in March 1987, um, when what had had been a sort of an all-things-to-all people station, 1ZB, became News Talk ZB. Uh, It's still going, and it's incredibly incredibly successful. So talkback has had a very healthy and long history. Mm. You make it clear in your in your PhD that most of the focus um, in terms of researching talkback radio in the past has been focused on hosts and and callers, yeah. which is not the focus of your piece of no. research. It's all about about the the listeners. Yes. Something you label as the silent actors in the talkback transaction. Can you tell us about why? I guess that focus on, on on listeners to go from, I, I know talkback is where I want to focus, but actually who are the people that we're not investigating? That that sort of drive to explore listeners. Well, I think the key drive was that there's many more of them. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, there's loads, there's hundreds of thousands of listeners. There's a few hundred callers and there's, you know, you know, half a dozen or a dozen at the most hosts, talkback hosts. So, um, there's more of them to um, to find out about, which which makes them more interesting. Um, but as you said, they, they're also it becomes a little bit. I was intrigued by it because you can hear the host and you can hear the caller, and you can do a say a content analysis on on what the callers are saying or what the host is saying or, or both, or you can do a discourse analysis. This is in terms of methodologies if you want to study them. And, and there, there has been a lot of that done already, but not a lot of uh, literature that I could find was about why the, the listener and what are their motivations? What are their motivations to listen? Um, and you know, and as we'll probably get into, there's there is a stereotype of the talkback listener, which I challenge in my thesis. So um, yeah, I th- I, th- I just thought there there was a gap. Yeah, and there's this fascinating piece of discussion in the the literature review part of your PhD that is all about, I guess, questioning what it means to listen. I thought that was really interesting. The one, the consideration of is listening passive or active and when is it perhaps either you're not the host you're not someone that's calling in or texting in for whatever for whatever reason but that doesn't mean that you're not actively engaging in whatever that product is the audience that's really fascinating there's a quote that i take from a chap called i hope i get his name right robert shudang who talks about um the fact that Hearing is passive, but listening is active. Mm. Um, so you actively, you passively hear, and then you tune, 
you tune in and out um, and then you actively listen. Um, and another another um, scholar in this area, David Hendy, he, he described it as a continuum, listening as a continuum, where at one end you have... Um, concentrated listening where people are sort of lean, almost almost leaning in even if their ears are leaning in even if they're not physically leaning in they're, you're listening and you know closely to what is being um, to, to, to what what's what you're listening to on on in the media um, but at the other end of that continuum is what he refers to and other people refer to as tap listening which is where you it's we all know that sense of you're driving along you're listening to something on the radio then your mind you're thinking oh what am I going to have for dinner tonight or what am I going to do when I get to work and you, your mind wanders off and then your mind comes back so that's that sort of tap listening you're here, you're here all the time but you're only sometimes are you listening and that's the active part mm. Leaning into the research itself can you tell us briefly about the methodology Well, um, yeah, As I said before you can't, you can't hear listeners <laughs> you can't hear what they're thinking um, so the in terms of methodology I, I you know, it, it was obvious that I was going to have to do a. Um, I was going to have to use the qualitative methods and do interviews with mm. them, um, and I was going to interview them. To I, what I wanted to do was interview them to find their motivations. I wanted to know why they listened, what they particularly liked about what they heard. Sometimes, you know, were there things that turned them off um, in terms of listening. It was going to be a bit of a challenge. I realised it was going to be a bit of a challenge to find people to interview because of what I was saying before talkback has talkback listening, talkback calling has a stigma attached to it people don't stand up and go yes I listen to talkback, I love talkback so I asked around and eventually I found one or two people and then it's using that sort of the snowball effect where they talked to people and they knew people and so I, I in the end I got, I, I was really pleased with the range of people I had, um, we had a lawyer, a retired maths teacher, we had a property developer, we had um, so a couple of people who are retired, living at, just staying at home during the day, an insurance salesman, we had a whole range of people. So so what did you find in, in those those conversations? You've, you've mentioned a whole range of professions mm. of people that you spoke to. Is it that the answer is just this huge diversity and probably kind of almost everyone listens to, to talk back or there is such a range that it is just a diverse audience? There is a really diverse audience um, to, to talk back. Um, one of the reasons that I think people are inclined to think of talk back listeners as sad, sad, old, lonely people is that because that's because the, um, the callers they often hear they're inclined to hear callers and think the listeners must be like the callers, which is so often not not the truth. Um, I mean, the whole the whole stigma goes back to um, there was uh, I don't know if you remember there was a movie a classic movie in 1971, um, Play Misty for me was a Clint Eastwood movie. You know, heads up, it wasn't a western, um, <laughs> but it was a, about a, a parasocial relationship between a DJ and a listener and you know another heads up it didn't end well um, but and it, but and it was all about the imbalance of power so that that sort of starts nurturing that um, and, and in fact 
that topic of parasocial relationships. That had been studied as far back as 1956 with some researchers, uh, academics um, Horton and, and Wall, who talked about the imbalance of power between um, a performer and an audience member, and how how you know mm. that can how the 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 performer has no idea the audience member exists, but for the audience member, the performer is everything. Mm. So so and, and and inevitably, the and the the audience member in that case is probably not you know is 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 potentially one of those sad lonely people. So um, that's where I think that the stigma. Has, has come along. People think if you listen, you must be like the callers, mm. and you know, and and the callers do fall into a certain genre. I mean, that's another whole study, <laughs> and, and many other people have studied callers, which is why I sort of avoided them. But yeah, you can't cut and paste the definition of a caller on put it on a listener. And they're uh, too diverse. And there's probably also a lot of people who would not consider themselves to be talked back listeners that haven't really sort of woken up and smelt the roses and realized that the radio that they engage with is mm. talkback radio especially when we consider you know the the 2020s as talkback has changed mm. it is no longer simply people calling up to to how do i get the 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 stain out of <laughs> out of out of my <laughs> saucepan You've spoken in your PhD about, you know, music radio stations that yes. all the time in the movie, um, on the drive to work, mm. call up, random example, you know, what is the worst habit that your pet ever had and, yeah. and people are calling up, mm. whether it's to win a competition, to mm. get to get concert tickets or simply to have their voice be on the radio. All the people that are sitting in the cars driving to work, mm. they're listening to yep. that and it might yep. not be that traditional what we think of, you know, yep. 20th century talkback, but that is talkback radio. Absolutely, and this is something which I that I find quite amusing. That, um, yeah, as you say, I mean, I I listen, um, I listen to myself. I listen to the ZM network, um, and uh, their breakfast show is full of, full of call us now with the most embarrassing thing your parents ever did. At least twice a day, uh, twice a show, you've got people calling in. Um, which is talkback. With RNZ, for example, um, they also have a lot of interactivity through um, using text messages, but also you can tell that um, they'll be on, they'll be discussing a certain topic, and then so, then the host will be saying, "Oh, we've got you know, we've got Peter on the line, and Peter's going to tell us you've you've been through this situation, have you, Peter? Yes." And it's quite clear that someone has messaged in. With um, with their own experience, and they've been rung either you know they've been rung back because the, the numbers there and um and put to air. It's it's another form. It it is talkback. It's not another form of talkback. Mm. It is talkback. So talkback, <coughs> excuse me, is a form of interactivity that is now just to be found everywhere. Mm. So in a way, it may lose its stigma or may not. People will continue, I think, to to you know will continue to think of talkback as uh, as associated with you know um first time call a long time listener yeah <laughs> yeah the famous line yeah which was even used in about simpson in, in the simpsons yeah by bart simpson on one occasion which was funny it feels to me that with lots of radio programs and lots of radio networks there is this drive to get the people that are listening to be part of the conversation so that's yes. more of a conversation mm. and i think 
that maybe it's sort of sl- with with the technology of you know text messaging emails social media it's so much easier for radio hosts to get through a bulk of opinions in a much shorter period of time that has sort of meant that talk back has kind of grown and grown and grown when mobile phones came in and even for smartphones just mobile phones people could then start calling from from um you know the beach or or wherever the boat or out on the out for a walk or whatever you could or from the, the work site you could suddenly the number of people who could contribute in terms of phone calls went up and that the the better the range of people to choose from for the producers to mm. choose from who are we going to talk to next the content then became way more varied and then you had the advent of the smartphone which allowed for texting um, and suddenly uh, whereas a call might take you know three minutes three sometimes five minutes average call suddenly if you get a text and you and with a with a, a, a person's point of view you can read that out in 20 seconds so suddenly the content is way more interesting way more interesting way more varied and that also will i think contribute mm. to why as a form of interactivity it feeds so well mm. into into today's um today's radio mm. i want to re- return back to this idea i guess of the active listener because mm. i feel like that's kind of you know at, at, at the core of what your research is exploring and and this idea of listening to something rather than just just hearing and mm. there's this really great couple of sentences from your phd that i want to read out talk back comprising as it does entertainment information pathos and scintillation rewards the often alone listener with the opportunity to be absorbed by what they're hearing listening maybe as an example of polyphonic discourse, a range of opinions or observations, each one is valid as each other, expressed and curated, not for those who call, but for those who listen. Everywhere, we're constantly being encouraged to, you know, listen to, to voices outside of, you, you know, your friends and your family. Mm. Do you think it's fair to think of talk back and, and the listenership as, as an aspect of that in terms of people listening in to hear the opinions and the stories and the narratives and the thoughts of people they fundamentally just don't know? They don't know and also may not agree with. Yeah. Um, I mean, the talkback has often been um, uh, described as the backyard fence where neighbours come together and chat and have... But I'm not sure if the backyard fence analogy stands up as much as it used to because I think now people are used to hearing a wider range for all the reasons I was just explaining. There's a wide range of opinions. There's more chance that you'll possibly disagree or that you know someone will have a wild, crazy idea and, and you'll, it's, it may be a new perspective that you haven't th- thought of. And that's some of the feedback I got from, from, my, from the people I spoke to. Um, a lot of them didn't, didn't actually agree with what they heard or didn't sorry didn't agree with the callers rather and sometimes not they didn't agree with the host in a way that gave them incentive to listen yeah one of my listeners was a woman in her early 30s she worked with uh with rangatahi youth and in college age youth and um she was quite a, a liberal um woman um in terms of politically she was a great listener to Leighton Smith, who's no longer on air, but he was, you know, on ZB for a long time, for something like 30 years. And, you know, clearly 
sort of quite right, right, um, right wing. She said she listened because she wanted to hear how he and his the callers, the people he put through, how did they come to the decisions or the the reasoning? What was their reasoning? How did they come up with their ideas? And I mean, another another listener said. <laughs> This guy, this uh, this listener was, was quite left of centre, and he was saying, "I want to know the enemy." He <laughs> said, "I listen, so I can know the enemy." Um, so it, it's not you, you're not listening to talkback by listening to choosing to listen to listen to a particular talkback show or host. You're not saying I agree with them. Um, the echo chamber may be going on, but it's the list, the caller, and the host are in the echo chamber. The listeners on, mm. on the outside of the echo chamber. You don't watch film or television that you don't enjoy to prove to yourself that you don't enjoy it but for some reason within the talkback environment some people do engage with the product that they know they're likely to not agree with and there's another interesting aspect to that is and that was one of my producers talked about the comfort of consistency and what he was referring to there was Sometimes you get people who, and, and the, um, the woman I was talking about earlier, the, the teacher, she, um, he, he, he sort of described someone like that turning on, say, to Leighton Smith one morning and finding out that he's supporting the Green Party would have been absolutely discombobulating for her and she, it, it would have made her feel uncomfortable. They actually get used to the people who disagree with what they're hearing, but they keep listening. Um, they they listen for a reason to be challenged, but they also feel comfortable in that listenership. Mm. Um, one one of the reasons is if you're listening to someone um, and you disagree with them, it vindicates where you come from because you know that they are completely at opposite ends of the socio-political um, continuum from you. Yeah, it's interesting that there's a range between you know some people will listen to a show uh, a station whether it's politics or you know it might just be sports to have because it's comfortable and they mm-hmm. know that the person that they're listening to the callers that they're listening to are going to be speaking their language and they're happy to just engage with that sort of familiar community mm-hmm. on the flip side of that there are people listening because maybe they they are they're not really open to being changed but it's that listen to what mm. the enemy is saying. Mm. Mm. Listen, listen to the the other side, whatever mm. that means, to firm up the position that you don't align with those people. Yep. And then I imagine there is a a third group of people that are actually just open, uh, open yep. to 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 change to perspectives. Because even if mm. you're not saying anything, if you're in the audience, audience. Mm you are in your own mind deciding how you feel about stuff. But I think it's fascinating that there's all those different groups of people. Well, it's, you know, I, I suggest in my thesis that the talkback is a spectator sport and the listener is the spectator. And they're watching, a, they're watching the game that's going on between, between the host and the caller. If, if everyone agrees, then it wouldn't be much fun. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be an entertaining um, listen at all yeah yeah as you say it's it's not the nine o'clock news it's it's i was trying to think of comparisons of what talkback radio is like in other mediums and and you know sports feels appropriate to some extent those kind of tv comedy panels something like seven mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. or feels sort of talkback ish yep. and that it's there's because people they always have someone who they they don't have everyone all agreeing with each other yeah way too boring yeah 
and yeah. and also to some extent i guess uh, and this is probably going off on a different tangent sometimes reality tv feels like mm. a, a close to talk back in the sense that you as as the a viewer i guess mm. a, a listener you know you're not there engaging mm. in in whatever game show is being t- taking place but you are experiencing different sides and forming your your opinions of of who you like on the show who you don't like on the show the sort of side that you're mm. taking when you describe talkback radio like that, it's it's funny to think of why it would have a stigma because everyone loves all those sorts yes, of media absolutely. forms. But all of a sudden, if you if you slap the talkback radio mm. label on it, people think you're you're something else entirely. But mm. the entertainment product thing, I think, is so so interesting. Well, one of the just going back to what you were talking about before the um, the not the nine o'clock news. One of the criticisms, if you do admit to to saying that you. I, I admit to listening to talkback. People, some of the reaction I've had is, but you know, how can you, how can you listen to that? Thus, people are so ill-informed. I'm not listening to learn facts. I'm just, le- I'm listening for entertainment. And you know, as I said, it's 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 a it's a game. Mm. Um, so, um, I mean, it's. I have to say, there's one um, one exception to that, and which we may want to go into mm. in, in times of crisis. Mm. It takes on a whole yeah. different role. But yeah, no, I, I don't... When people say, you know, why do you listen to ill-informed people? I'm thinking, but I'm not... I'm not I have my own opinions, and they're not going to change. Mm. I'm just listening is it, because it's it's entertaining. I guess in both both the, the, the entertainment form of it, which is down one end of, of the spectrum mm. of radio, radio is all just fun games, and then mm. that other end of the spectrum, which is times of crisis, mm. which... We, we should talk about it is all about the liveness factor right? and you, yes. you speak about this yep. in your research is, is there's something about talkback radio and and listening to talkback radio that we as humans crave knowing that something is is live and there's this this element of kind of authenticity yes. that it, it yes. feels like it's not all pre-scripted mm. and and whatever you're tuning into whatever whatever the subject and the station mm that the talk back there there's something live going on there and 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 the exchange is different there even if you're just a silent silent part of it mm. you're in your car or whatever mm. the authenticity of what's going on feels different than it's say genuine. Mike Hosking yeah 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 um it, it, there has been some research that says that if something is being presented as it happens live it is they are f- it is far more likely to be true people believe it it's happening um and as you say, so it gives an authentication mm. to it. And then the other side of the authenticity coin is that because it's live, there's kind of that excitement that mm. anything could happen. Mm. You, you know, you're sitting mm. there as a listener. You don't necessarily have to have to call up to present your opinion, mm. but you have no idea what r- random Joe is going to mm. call up to 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 offer an opinion and i guess that's the same with live sport. You never mm. know what's going to happen with those those game shows, reality TV. Mm because it feels less scripted and mm. more off the cuff that's what keeps people coming back when the question is what's the the most embarrassing thing that my parents <laughs> ever did mm. people aren't listening because they know what the answer's going to be no. they're listening because they hope that something really outrageous it's, gets yeah, brought it's, on it's funny they hope they want they want you know they want humor um, but just going back to something you were talking about before and and this is sort of one of the serious parts mm. of talk back um, and it is something I talk about in my thesis is um, the, the day of the terrible day of the March 15 
um, shootings at the mosque in Christchurch. Um, the talkback played a, a big role that day because mm. people were actually calling in, were calling in, and they were actually people on the on the on the in the area. They were people who were maybe trapped in cars or maybe um, on the road or um, you know having to stay in a building, and we had people calling up. Or the, the station, not we. The station had people calling up, and I can imagine. I spoke to um, I spoke to the producer that day, one of the producers that day, and it was a, a big call to Are we going to put these people to where this mm. is not? Um, from what I understand, I hope this is correct. That the 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 news talk said be office. The two or three people who are in the news talk said be office in Christchurch that day. They they were out on stories, and so when this was happening, they weren't right mm. in, right on hand initially. They 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 got there very quickly, but initially, it was um, citizen journalism. They were they were people just um, everyday people were just calling up saying, okay, this is what's happening. A car's just gone by, and police have just gone by here, and this this road's blocked off, and I've heard this, and I've heard that. Um, and they contributed. It was it was it was harsh and stark and sad listening, but they contributed to something, and it was quite a extraordinary broadcast that mm. day. Mm. And that that was talkback. And you think of the the number of people that would have been listening to that, yep. particularly within the mm. the Canterbury area, mm. to to know exactly what was going on, mm. the value of providing something. Where people can actually just yes. just listen, as mm. say citizen citizen journalism, people the value of people that were calling up in that situation mm. obviously can't can't be understa- uh, overstated. Mm. But the amount of people that were the listening in that situation that you would you would never question what no. what is the role of someone listening because in those situations all you want to hear is the range of of information that's yes. that's yeah. coming in, which is obviously down that mm. that. Uh, sad, serious, mm. horrific event end of the spectrum. Yes. But when you bring it back to to the the other end of the spectrum, it's all just about listening into a platform where uh, multiple perspectives are brought in. Whether it's what's going on in a factual situation mm. like that, or it's people coming in and speaking about West Ham and the Premier League <laughs> and, and why yeah. and and why they're rubbish yes. and why the yeah. manager needs yeah. to to be sacked and and that that element of people being active listeners mm. is i feel like so much easier to understand yep. in a situation like that mm. where everyone would always be listening yep. in with with an acute ear to try and figure out the, what's happening i suspect there were people who called that day um that had never called before mm. but they felt um that they could contribute you know almost from a public service point of view yeah to let their fellow Cantabrians know what was yeah. going on and, and the rest of New Zealand yeah and that only functions in in a sort of radio scenario where there's an infrastructural place to allow people to mm. to come on and be a be a, a part of that mm. broadcast and also knowing that there are hundreds of thousands mm. tens of thousands of people out there out there listening and there were, I mean there were people put to air who who quite early on flagged that the number of casualties was going to be mm. quite high, and um, they turned out to be correct. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was, 
it was awful and compelling listening. Mm, mm. Um, but it was it would have been a heck of a big decision from the producer's point of view. So are we going to put these people mm. to air? I mean, that was a it was yeah quite an extraordinary broadcast that day. When it boils down to it, that's all about community. And you talk mm. about in your research, you know, one of the easiest reasons to point to why people listen to talk about radio is the idea of companionship. companionship. You know, it might actually be, true. it may well be the the quote unquote sad old person in their kitchen that's just turning on talk back because they want to have someone's mm. voice voice in the background. That companionship might exist in, in that specific context, but can also just exist in, in the, the less one person in their, their kitchen way whether it's you know a car full of people and you, you're you're all listening to be a part of whatever that community is with the radio station the people calling in uh, and that that day you know people both in the Christchurch area but also mm. New Zealand generally wanted to feel like there was a conversation going on and I mm. guess outside of any specific example that is what talkback radio can provide to listeners is mm. is a kind of community that you engage with even if you're not the person mm. person calling up because whether it's the host voice that you're listening to all the time or you sort of you feel like you're part of the 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 strange family of people that listen mm. to this particular radio station in the morning or, or mm. the evening i think that element of being a a listener within a wider group is is a really fascinating thing to yes. to to consider when we consider the role that radio and talkback radio plays within society and is going to keep continuing to play because I'm sure there are people mm. out there that will say well, radio is dying radio is dead well it's not dead because that that kind of interactivity I think is very specific and for a lot of for a lot of people can't really be replaced by anything yep. that kind of whatever that interactivity radio magic stuff is the um it's a classic piece of literature by um, a chap called benedict anderson who's who wrote a piece on imagined communities mm. and um and and talk back is is part of that well actually all radio all radio is part of an imagined community but particularly talk back um where you're listening and um I think one of my listeners put it beautifully. She said, when she's listening, she's lying in bed listening to the radio, she said she hears these people calling up. She says, they are, I, I'll never know these people. She, she said, they're acquaintances I listen to. And I liked that, you know. And she's, she sort of got to know, you do get to know some of the regular callers um, as, a, as a listener. Um, and yeah, she called them acquaintances I listen to. But um, I, I don't think, because just because it is an imagined community that that needs to be a sad thing mm. i think it's quite nice yeah. yeah yeah there's just something about knowing that there are other people out there yep. in the same city as you or the same country yep. as you engaging quietly in the mm. same thing and maybe having having their opinions changed or mm. not having their opinions yep. changed i keep returning to this idea of listenership and mm. why do we why do we listen to yep. conversations and yep. and applying applying your research I guess outside of a talkback context, also just in the world, you know, conversations that we engage with. How do we listen? What are the spectrum of hearing versus really active listening? Why is it that we take pleasure or, or solace or any of these words and 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 absorbing conversations, opinions through the oral medium as something that that is never going to go away. So continuing to question that, I think is fascinating. It's, I mean, I I use the term reality radio um, 
in in my thesis. I mean, and sometimes you know when you've got people calling up with extraordinary stories, or you know just stories to tell or and or, or views, and the, you know you're listening and you think, wow, I can't I can't stop listening. This is really interesting. You know, it is it does feel. Um, it does feel a bit like reality radio. Okay. Yeah, and we'll never, we will never stop listening. Whether no. whether you whether you're specifically listening to a radio station or you just happen yep. to be flicking through the channels and someone's chatting to to someone on you know a host on a music channel. That interactivity is always mm. going to be there. Yeah. I think it's fascinating to keep thinking about. And thank you so much for being here with oh, with us today to I've explore it. it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Maureen Sinton, the PhD is sounding out the long-time listener, a study of the talkback radio audience that doesn't talk back in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Maureen, thank you so much for being here. Kia ora. Thanks for watching this episode from Season 3 of PhD Unpacked. For previous episodes from this season and Seasons 1 and 2, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as other listening platforms. And follow us, PhD Unpacked, on Instagram and TikTok.